have to give first, you have to save second, and you have to live on the rest. I had somebody ask me this week, this happens from time to time, I don't know if this is a good question or not, are you preaching this Sunday? So I don't know if that's like a, hey, if you are, we're not coming, one of those deals. The person that asked me was a baseball coach. He's like, are you on the hill this Sunday or not? Um, so I'm sorry if that was the way that question was intended, but I am glad that you're here. We're in a series, this is the fourth part of a series called Guardrails. So what's a guardrail? A guardrail is something that's intended while it is in the safety zone, it is near the danger zone, and it is intended to preserve life. So even though it may be in the safety zone, and it's near the danger zone, and you may actually hit this, you're probably not going to lose your life. There could be some damage, there could be some wreckage, it could mess up your vehicle, it probably will mess this up. I think this one was one that was wrecked. But the idea is that in Scripture, God gives us guardrails. And the guardrails that He gives us are so that it will minimize, listen now, it will minimize future regrets. And so in week one, I talked about one that was from Ephesians, where Paul gives you this list. In week two, Pastor Chris came up and he talked about relationships. And he basically said, if your group that you're traveling with is not headed in the right direction, then you better assess your group. Relationships. Last week I talked to you about the heart, and there was a reason that I talked about that one before this week. Um, and I did my very best to explain to you why God needs your heart and you need His heart. And that in Proverbs, it says, above all else, he gives this list of things, but above everything else, guard your heart. So now we get to this week. Um, I had just graduated from college, literally came home from college. And I had been home one day, and my dad came in, and he was like, hey, listen, uh, the, the school here called, they would like you to submit a resume and a job application. Well, I knew the purpose of going to college was to get a job. I just wasn't planning on it happening quite that fast. Like I was thinking, okay, we'll come home. I might get a part-time job, you know, do some jet skiing. They were living in Maryland by the water. I'm like, he's like, yeah, you need to do it this week. Adulting is not fun, you know. I was like, this is what... So I did. I, I sent it in, you know. Actually, you took it in back then. So I took it in. You did email. We did have email. I'm not quite that old. But I took it in, and they called. And the principal said, her last name was Griffith. I will not forget that. It wasn't Griffin, even though people say, are you related to Andy Griffith? Her name was Griffith. We came in. We had an interview. She said, I want you to come in and interview tomorrow. We just had a situation. My major was health and physical education, which, by the way, you can absolutely tell, right? So I go into the interview. It didn't last five minutes. She asked me one question. She said, do you believe as a teacher when you walk in the room, are you supposed to earn their respect or command their respect? So I gave my answer. She said, that's great. Okay, listen, I got two assistant principals. They're going to give you a tour of the building and we'll call you. I walked out of that interview and I was like, man, she must not have liked that answer. She called the next day. She said, the job's yours if you want it. I'm not exaggerating. Preachers exaggerate, trust me. This is not an exaggeration. 
I, I have been a preacher long enough to know that they do exaggerate. So, so they give me the job. So now here I am. I'm living with my parents. I've been home for a couple weeks. And I'm getting like, not the part-time landscape salary, like a full-time check. Like a, a legit salary. And you know what I did with it? Not much. Except spend it on me. One of the things that I had that I loved. Now some of you will think this is really sad, but I'm just admitting it to you. I loved sneakers. Like it was like this. I can't explain it to you if you don't understand sports and you don't like shoes. Women will identify with this probably, but maybe there's men that do, but I love sneakers. So here I get this first paycheck, uh, second paycheck, and I, I'm just buying sneakers. And my parents are like, dude, what are you doing? You're living in our home. Yes, it's nice that you're paying for some of your college, and you did have a payment for your Jeep, but there's other things in life besides sneakers. At one time, I probably had like 30-some pair of sneakers. Now, I don't know how many some of you younger people in here have. You may have more than that. Why are you telling us this story? I had no financial plan. Zero. My financial plan was me. I was the financial plan. And the plan was, whatever I saw, whatever I liked, I bought it. I was pretty narrow in what I liked. I wasn't engaged. I wasn't, it was a Kevin Griffin financial plan. Scripture has much to say about finance. I'm going to make this abundantly clear before you check out. In church, whether Lebanon's here or kids are here, in church, people don't want to discuss race. They don't want to discuss sex. They don't want to discuss politics. Because when you talk about some of those subjects, you're dividing the room immediately. So if I were to stand up here and to give you my political opinions, half of you or more would be like, Dude, we're done. We're not. But let me say this to you. This topic that we're talking about this morning for a few minutes, don't squirm too bad. This is the one that I don't care where you're at and what your background is and how much of it or how little of it you have. This is the ultimate rub. I don't know why, but I remember sitting where you sat oh, a year ago. And sometimes it was a rub for me because we all just have within us like, dude, don't tell us what to do with our money. Money is a private, finance is private. So when you talk about this in a setting like this, you better be really careful, right? I'm going to do my best to be careful. But I'm also going to do my best to be honest and speak to you from Scripture, not from Kevin Griffin's ideas or perspective. Can you trust me with that? Hopefully you will. I want to say this. Most people think that church is against sex, and they want our money. That's not true. But I understand why people do think that. More than half of the parables Jesus talked about had to do with finance, possessions. You know that some scholars would say that one out of every seven verses in the New Testament is in reference to your possessions and finance. One out of every seven. Listen to these stats. There are 500 verses in the New Testament on prayer. There are less than 500 on faith. There's 2,000 on finance and possession. 2,000. 
you done having me convince you? I'm not up here, by the way, to be Dave Ramsey. If you're a full Dave Ramsey, that's awesome. I think he's great. That's not what I'm here to do today. And I think by the end, you'll see that. So what's scripture say? Luke chapter 12. Here's what it says. For where your treasure is, there your heart. That's last week. But it'll capture you for this week. There your heart will be also. Last week we talked about your heart. And your giving is a reflection of your heart. It is. Do you own your stuff or does your stuff own you? Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, before you just skim past that, there's two words in there that seem to be diametrically opposed. Need, riches. In the same verse. I'm going to supply your need because I have riches. And because you give X amount doesn't mean I'm going to bless you with X amount. That's not what he's saying. And that's not what I'm saying. Do you know in a recent college poll taken by students who went to Christian and non-Christian universities alike, this is what they said. As one of their top three goals, they said, I want to make a lot of money. That's not the biblical narrative. I want to make a lot of money. Now, you can do a lot of good things with money, right? The average family in the U.S. will save $150,000 to give to their kids when they pass away, and those kids will blow through that money in less than six months. Most people in ministry, listen, will tell you there are two topics that almost invariably come up in counseling. Sex, money. They're the overriding problems that counselors, whether they're in a church or not, are dealing with. Hmm. So what's Scripture say? Let's look at it. This is not a parable, by the way. A parable was a made-up story. This is a real story that happened if you believe in the Bible and what Jesus said. I'm in Mark chapter 12. This story is also repeated in Luke. Here we go. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd put their money into the temple treasury. Many people, many rich people, threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came in to put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything that she had to live on. You need to understand what's going on here. The temple had many different sections. This temple, which took 80 years to build and over 18,000 men to build it, had different places in it where different people could go. This would have taken place, this scene, which you just heard, would have taken place in what was called the court of the women. There was an outside court. 
There was an outside court, which Gentiles were allowed in, non-Jewish people. Then there were courts that were more and more restrictive as you got closer to the ultimate holy of holies. And so Jesus and his disciples are sitting in this massive structure. The entire complex would have taken up 36 acres. If you're wondering how big's the property that this church is on, not the only church building, parking lots on all sides, softball field, all of it, including some farmland, 35 acres. This was a massive structure. This scene, four verses, is recorded on purpose in Scripture. And Jesus standing there in the middle of the madness with all the wealthy that are walking in, in this courtyard, and with all that they're dropping in. What do you mean they're dropping in? In this courtyard, which women were allowed in, this is before just the Jewish men, and then there was another section of, I should have put a picture of this up for you. This is, oh, by the way, Passover week. This scene takes place 48 hours before Jesus is about to be crucified. He's in the temple. He's already been in the temple. He's already dealt with money issues. And what's going on in here is there are 13 receptacles, 13 different trumpet-like receptacles. They're all around the courtyard. And there's all these men with their flowing robes and all of their money, their bags of money, and they're walking around and they're dropping money into all of the receptacles. But yet this catches the eye and the ear of Jesus. And he points it out to his guys. So you get this, right? Here's the picture. Here's all these guys. I don't have a flowing robe on. Sorry. I don't have a fancy bag either. This is a one gallon bag my wife let me use. A Ziploc bag. And so these guys, they're walking around and they're... And then they go to the next one, you know, and they're... And they're just looking around and they're checking out for Jesus and other religious leaders and they. And the more sound that's made, the more they feel better about themselves because this is a show now. So they walk from one and they drop some money in the one. Then they walk to the next one, you know, and if it's a really lot of money, then, you, you know, they. And they just did this. And yet. Here's Jesus. This is right after he's thrown them out for the wrong things they were doing financially in the temple. Here's Jesus. And Jesus gets a hold of. And he addresses his guys. There's over by by the according recording of Josephus, there would have been over two million people in Jerusalem that week. It's Passover week. This would not have been like 20 of us in the temple. There'd have been a bunch of us in there. And the overriding thing that grabs Jesus is this sound. Do you understand? Maybe you don't. I'm giving this to you. We in America, unless it's different than what I've been taught, the smallest amount of money that we have in our currency is a penny. What this lady had, according to Scripture, was less than that. It was 164th, a lepta. 
is the Greek term. One sixty-fourth worth, two of them, of a day's wage. And she drops them in, and it grabs him. Jesus, by the way, is not impressed with your portion. He's more impressed with proportion. Jesus is not impressed with equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. It would drive me crazy in a basketball practice or a game when I had a really talented player and I knew they weren't giving me everything they had. And here's what drove me more crazy. Stay with me. When their 70% was still better than the kid that was giving me 100. Because that happened. I actually had a player one time said, you realize that my 50% is still better than her 100%. And that was a fact. And I would stand there and I would lose my mind without yelling certain individuals' names. And I would say, people, it's not about equal gifts. It's equal sacrifice. So when are we all going to get on this baseline? And when are we all going to go into a game? And when are we all going to sell out with everything we got? Because if everybody on this team would do that, instead of one, two, three of us walking around going, my 60% is better than, then we'd get somewhere. Matthew chapter 6. One more section. These are Jesus' words as well. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your, here it is again, heart. Why'd you talk about heart last week and not this week? You can't, you can't live right with any of this unless he's got your heart. There your treasure is, your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy... Your body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's the key. Ready? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Listen to the wording here now. You cannot serve both God and the devil. Let me read it to you again. You cannot serve both God and the devil. That's not what it says, right? I'm, I do need glasses. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't. Isn't that interesting that he would put that? Hmm. What do you got these buckets up here for? Was that just to make noise? This is how most of us live. Most of us. And I'm including me in this because I promise you I've done this for far too long. Most of us have, this is not unique to us, by the way, but we have buckets and we have labels on these buckets. And the first one that we worry about in terms of our money is we live. So our money goes to us. We take care of our finances and we live in this order. I'm doing this left to right because that's how most of us read. 
So this is left to right. Whether you're an impulse buyer or not, this is the first place we do or what we worry about with our money. This isn't just about money, by the way. Time, talent, treasure, touch. We worry about live. Uh, the next place that we go is we might, some of us, save. So we, you know, we live on what we get. We save some. I don't know. I'm not here to tell you how much you should live on, how much you should save. Some of you have done this so much, you haven't taken a family vacation in 10 years, and you're proud about that. We got to save for a rainy day. How many rainy days are you saving for? Watch it, preacher. We live, we save, some of us don't save, and then we get to the last one. We give. And that's the order how we operate in our home. We live, we take care of stuff with our check, we save a little bit, and then whatever we got left, we might have some left, we'll give. Now, I'm not here to make anybody feel bad. I'm just saying, if this is how you're living, and this is how most Americans live, you got it all wrong. Because the very first scripture I read to you says this. You got to switch these two. If you're reading left to right, you have to switch these. You don't have to get mad at me. I'm not here to get a raise. If some of you are thinking, man, I'm not. They're not going to give me a raise. I don't care how much you give today. You have to give first. You have to save second. And you have to live on the rest. This is a lifestyle. This is biblical living. Where I give God my very first. You're saying this because you're a preacher now. I wasn't a year ago. And I can assure you, there's no question in our home. I'm not saying this bragging to you. I'm giving you this for accountability. The first thing my wife does every month when we get paid, every, actually every week, is this. We give. Do you only give to Grace Point? No. Are you telling us that's what you should do? No. Are you telling us how much we should give? I'm not. That is between you and God. But I'm here to caution you. I'm here to give you a guardrail from Scripture, not Kevin Griffin, that you should give, and it should be your first thing. And then you should save, and then you should live on the rest. And I can't tell you how much to do of any of that. Nobody's walked out yet, so I guess we're okay. There is a posture there is a posture that must take place for the believer. It's an easy symbol, and I'm going to use this over and over again this year. We're going to celebrate at the end of this service, by the way. The posture is the same in giving and in receiving. It's open hands. In giving and in receiving, it's open hands. I don't know what it's like in your family. I don't know what your finances are like. It's none of my business. But I can't have a series on guardrails, and when there's over 2,000 scriptures about this, not at least address it. 
and talk about it. How should we give, Kevin? Here's a really nice framework, and it's not mine, by the way. This is right out of a book, and tons of preachers, including Andy Stanley, have used this very principle. In fact, Andy Stanley said, I did this when my kids were young. I have not. I should have. And he said, I put three jars in their room when they were a very young age. And he said, we labeled them. We labeled them give, save, live. So that they would learn early on a biblical principle. Give, save, live. You should pray about what to give. And you should give cheerfully. That's what scripture says. I worry about people who are looking for loopholes to get out of giving. I worry about that. I'm concerned about people who want to argue about tithing. I won't argue with you about it. You, I'm not going to argue you into it. One final thought here. The King David offered to buy the, fresh, the threshing floor of Ornan, actually the same place that the temple was built. He offered to pay something for it, and the owner said to him, David, you're the king. You're going to do this for God. You can have it for free. And you Bible scholars know, what did David say in response? I will not offer God something that cost me nothing. I will not do that. It's got to cost me something. Is it possible you could be debt-free and still not have a healthy relationship with your finances? Is it possible that you could live a life as a Christian? This is really hard. Like if you're under 20 and you're like, dude, we don't even have an earning power yet. I get it. But isn't it possible that even at an early age, through your time, your talent, your treasure, and your touch, that the biblical idea, the biblical concept of generosity could still flow through your life. It could, and it should. 